I've been thinking a lot about Mary lately. How before anything else in this story happens, she is just a normal young woman planning her wedding. Mary was, after all, engaged to Joseph, a good guy. She was making plans for her wedding and for her future life because that is what you do when you get engaged. You plan. And sure, sure, she probably wasn't planning with wedding websites and magazines and Pinterest, but still, she was planning. And then those plans were interrupted and not in the good way. I want you to take a moment this evening and just imagine you are Mary. Her life is about to be completely interrupted and everything is about to change. But first, she's just a young girl planning her future. Have you ever noticed that when an angel of the Lord shows up, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid? Whenever I hear, do not be afraid, the cynic in me wants to say, well, that really depends on what you say next, angel person. It's scary, and not just because an angel appears out of nowhere, though that's truly scary enough on its own, I imagine, but because it is scary when God interrupts your life, no matter how holy that interruption may be. The angel appears to Mary and sets this whole incarnation, that fancy church word for God becoming human thing, in motion. And Mary is imperfect by most standards of the day. She's young. She's unmarried. She's poor. She is from a small and inconsequential town and not descended from any important family line. She is not who most of us would choose first to be the one to bear God into the world. The angel appears and says she's going to have a baby and it's going to be God's son, not Joseph. And this is not in Mary's plans. Now, because Mary is not powerful or wealthy, it means she very likely has so few options. If Joseph doesn't marry her anyway, knowing this baby isn't his, which he is allowed to do, she will be outcast, ridiculed, likely killed. It's not really the scenario any of us could have imagined for how the Son of God enters the world. God chose an unmarried teen mom, someone who we might still not choose today, and asked her to do the impossible. And she says, yes. Now, she didn't have to. I firmly and fully believe that God would have found another way. But she does say yes. She says yes to growing and birthing and nursing and raising God. She says yes to all of her plans being interrupted. She says yes knowing that it will change everything. She says, here am I, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to what you say. She said yes to her life being interrupted. It was the most holy and important yes the world had ever heard, but it is not the only yes the world needs to make. Meister Eckhart said that we are all God-bearers because God is always needing to be born. And tonight we are all interrupted. 
Now we are used to this, right? We all get interrupted regularly. Those of you with kids in your life, you get interrupted more than anyone else. And yet tonight, this interruption is different than the ones we normally have. Tonight, God looks at you, you sitting here, and calls you highly favored and asks you to be a part of the story of God showing up in the world. Will you be a God bearer? This is a holy interruption. Mary's yes changed the world, but so can yours. I think it's safe for us to uh, say that Joseph was a man with a plan. Uh, He was just going about his life, but who he was in his little hometown was about to change forever. He was a rule follower, Joseph, and none of this holy interruption is going to make him look good in his community. He didn't ask for any of this. Joseph didn't deserve it either. Almost nothing we encounter in the Christmas story is about people getting what they deserve. Joseph being a righteous man and unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace planned to dismiss her quietly. That single verse, that one sentence, I think tells you everything that you need to know about Joseph. He had built the reputation of being a righteous man, which is another way of saying that Joseph lived his entire life following the rules and religious laws and traditions of his faith. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation of being a righteous person, and Joseph has been sealed as such for all of history in the Holy Scriptures. But Joseph was about to give all of that up. He was going to release Mary from their vows to each other in order that she might not be punished according to the very religious rules, laws, and traditions that he had devoted his entire life to following. Joseph had to be scared. Do not be afraid, (laughs) the angel says again. They seem to say that a lot. Right when God shows up to interrupt everything. Right when your plans are about to change. Have you ever been going about your just normal, everyday work and something happens that completely throws off your whole day? I think the most common one for me in my current stage of life is a phone call from the school nurse. There's nothing you can do except pack up and go get them. There's other things that can cause these interruptions, car accidents, illness, surprise visits from family or friends, maybe unexpected news, whether good or bad. You are in fairly good company this evening if you have ever had a day interrupted in any way. 
the first people to hear about this good news of the baby being born, besides Mary and Joseph, his parents, are not kings or government leaders or the powerful or wealthy, but shepherds. Now, shepherds were just doing their normal day-to-day work. Now, we know this story so well that it doesn't seem that shocking for us at this point to hear this part of the story. But it is astounding. Shepherds worked with animals. They were living outside most of the time. They were considered dirty, unclean in the churchy language, which means they were not allowed in the holy temple. And since God's presence, which just a quick side note that I think is awesome, is called the glory of the Lord, resides in the holy temple, being called unclean or named unclean was just another way of saying they were so dirty that they were not even allowed to come into the presence of God. And they knew it. They had felt their outsideness, their exclusion from all things holy, their whole lives. Have you ever felt like that? Like maybe the church doesn't have a place for you, or maybe you're not welcome. Again, this evening, you are in good company. So on this night, then, the glory of the Lord, right, the name of God's presence in the temple, leaves the temple and interrupts this group of sheep herders in the wilderness. Let me tell you, they did not see this coming. And truly, neither did anyone else who first heard this story. Those guys? Really? Don't be afraid, the angel says. There it is again. And like I said, really depends on what you're about to say next, angel guy. Do not be afraid. To you on this day is born a Savior. Because God was in a place in the temple, usually, reserved for people who were clean, and these guys weren't allowed there, God came to them to tell them the good news. And sure, they could just kind of shrug and chalk it up to exhaustion. They get up and they go see this new baby king. These shepherds, they are the first to hear about and to see Jesus. But this story isn't just about the shepherds. The story is not even just about Jesus. There are important words in front of us tonight to you is born on this day a Savior. Martin Luther said that tempting, it is tempting to think the story is all about Jesus, but that the point of Christmas is that the story is all about you. To you, this day is born a Savior. Now, this you in the original language is plural. So it's a y'all or a Minnesotan. It's a you guys, you know, like real good Minnesota guys, Right? You all are interrupted too. You all who are gathered here on this evening, this good news is for you. You all who are just going about your day. You all who are not sure what you believe or aren't really sure why you decided to come here at all. You who are here but don't want to be, but your mom made you all come to church on Christmas because that is what we do. You who consider yourselves to maybe be on the outside or you who have been excluded, or you all who are least likely to be the first to know anything, to you all a Savior has been born. To you all who think you don't deserve it. To you all who don't believe a single word of any of it. To all of you who think 
that this good news is not for you, maybe because it has never felt like it was. To you, on this day, a Savior is born. This holy interruption is for you, for all of you, and you're in good company tonight. The thing about the Christmas story is that everything is so fragile, so vulnerable, so at risk. Maybe that's why the very first gospel writer, the, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, decided not to include the story of the birth of Jesus at all. Mark decided to start the story with the great wilderness prophet, right, out there in, in the desert on the banks of the Jordan River declaring a baptism of repentance. And when Jesus makes his first appearance in Mark's gospel. It is to be baptized by John in the Jordan, and the heavens are ripped open, and the voice of God booms out. This is my beloved son. But Luke, Luke wants us to know something else about this God who interrupts our lives, whether we are looking for that or not. Luke wants us to know that that God is determined to, to dwell among us, to live with us. I stumbled upon an old VHS tape a little while ago and figured out how to hook up a VCR to the TV still. Remember, remember those? It was, uh, it was a little uh, clip of the day our eldest daughter Lydia was born. And there were complications when Lydia was born, so... There was not a neonatal intensive care unit in the hospital she was born in, so she had to be rushed away to an entirely different hospital in a different town where she spent her first week camping there in a tent, a little oxygen tent, hooked up to all manner of wires and tubes. And Lori and I were worried. We, we were scared. And we were given reason to be, even though... We were surrounded by such technology and gifted caretakers. Lydia's fine now. She just sang a minute ago at the offering, but if you don't know the family. Mary and Joseph they didn't have much help that we know of in that stable a long way from home throughout the ordeal that is birth. All they had was their faith in God's presence and, and each other. Even so, that is where Jesus is born, the Savior of the world. And my guess is, that is where Jesus always gets born. The story reminds us that when God comes, comes close to people, He comes first to the poor and the lonely and the ones who have little going for them and the ones who find it hard to believe. A long time ago when I was serving Atonement Lutheran Church in inner city Philadelphia. I lived in a house right next to the church, the parsonage, and Lori and I lived there together after we were married. And so there was just a narrow alley that separated our house from the church, and there was a big iron gate that 
was closed at the end of each day because uh, nobody needed to pass through that alley to get to the back doors of the church. One afternoon, I came home and the alley gate was closed and I, I saw as I walked by to go to the front door of the house, in the alley running around back there was a dog. How did that dog get back there? I don't know. I went through the house to the back door and tried to see what was going on and I tried to coax this uh, border collie looked to be over to me, and she was just so scared. She was terrified. She was skittish. She looked all ratty and dirty. She'd been running, apparently, through the streets and somehow found her way in that alley and got closed in. So I, I sat on the back step, and I tried to coax her over so I could begin to help her, and it took a long, long time before she would let me get anywhere close to her. Little did I know at that moment that Tulip... That's so what we ended up naming her, would be an important part of our family uh, for the next 18 years. Our daughters, there's Lydia sharing Tulip's bed, which Tulip just loved. Uh, and Tulip would be so much more than a family pet. She would live a life filled with epic drama, that dog. She would recover from having her shoulder crushed by an angry horse shortly after we moved out of the city and out to more rural areas. She had it in her brain, in her DNA. I'm a herder. She saw a bunch of horses out in a field in the deep snow and decided to get them all corralled. And one of them clipped her shoulder and crushed it. And she had an external fixator on. And after she healed from that, we couldn't even remember which leg it had happened to half the time. Years later, Lori and I were camping in the Poconos, uh, uh, we were hiking back up in the mountains. We'd never been there uh, before in the area we were in, and a big thunderstorm was starting to boil in, so we thought we maybe should start turning back. Just about before the, the skies opened up, Tulip saw a bunch of deer back in the forest and just took off after him. She was gone deep. Now it's pouring rain, it's thundering and lightning, and Lori and I are thinking we... We, we, we're going to have to leave her. You know, I don't know what's going to become of this dog. And we went back and found, because we weren't positive how to get back, finally made our way back to the, to the little cabin. And in the dumping rain, there was Tulip on the deck waiting for us to get, get back. She would leap a concrete wall some years after that, a high concrete wall, and run scared from the explosions on a dark, Fourth of July, through the inner city streets of Philadelphia for three long days, imagine, and terrifying nights before she wore the pads clear off the bottoms of her feet and she could run no more. She would be rescued by a poor Mexican family living in a crumbling row home in an impoverished and drug-saturated area of inner city Philadelphia known to this day as the Badlands. I remember when that father carried Tulip out from their little row house to hand her back to us. I took out my wallet and whatever money in there I wanted to give to him out of gratitude and he would not take it. Yet Tulip would bring us so much love and so much joy and adventure over all those years. But first I had to sit with that dog in the back of our row house in the alley for the longest time. And this is how I understand Christmas. In the humble birth of Jesus, God sits with us in the alley, no matter how long it takes, 
Maybe you find yourself in a, in a space somewhere between your, your home where your life is lived and, and the church where really other people, maybe better people or more religious people or, or people with better, stronger faith than your own, they know community and it's not maybe for you. We're just glad that you're here tonight. Really. Because Christmas does not belong to the church. It belongs to those in the alley, in the hospital room, in the refugee camp, in the detention center, in the addiction clinic, out on the street corner. Christmas is an in-between place where God chooses to sit with you no matter how long it takes until you understand how safe you are and how much you are loved so that you may know that you are more than welcome in holy spaces like this among these kinds of people. You're more than welcome here. You belong. You're home. We call Jesus by the name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This good news is meant for you on this holy night, no matter what you might be facing in your life. For unto you is born this night in the city of David a Savior. Hear it again. Unto you is born this night in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you even now. A light shines in the darkness and the darkness shall never overcome it. Unto you was born this night in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. May you carry the light of this good news, the reality of this gospel with you into this dark world. May you know that in this place and all such places, you are more than welcome, you belong, you are home. And may you depart now in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.